Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I, I'm a recovered uh, compulsive overeater. Today is January 20th, uh, 2016. Uh, today we're reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are on page 24, the first paragraph. Uh, we're going to be reading two paragraphs today. The um, Today's readers... We have we have Janice M on the steps. We have Melanie C on the traditions, and the readers of the text are going to be Renata G, Michelle H, and Linda R. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, January nineteenth, is eight three nine three. Again, that reference number is eighty three ninety three. So the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition state, states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm gonna first ask uh, if Janice M. would read the 12 steps. Well, good morning to you, Larry, and my family. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. 
Thank you, Janice. And I will now ask Melanie C. if she would be kind enough to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, visionaries. My name is Melanie C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Oregon. The 12 traditions of OA. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual <clears throat> foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities pass. Thank you, Melanie. Okay, here's how our meeting works. First, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're gonna to resume our study of the big book. Uh, we're, we are on page 24, the first paragraph, starting with the fact is that, and we're gonna read the first paragraph for context, and we're gonna comment, keep our comments to the, uh, the second paragraph. So with that, let me ask uh, Renata if she would be kind enough to read. Renata? Thank you, Larry, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscured, have lost the power of choice in drink. 
our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week ago or a month ago. We are without defense against the first dream. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not cloud into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they're hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about the almost certain consequences because, you know, almost certain until my disease progressed to the level that it did. You know, there were times in the past that I could handle having one or two cookies and that would not set me off on a, a binge right away. I would binge two or three days later, but I couldn't make a connection. You know, so that was puzzling to me because then I started thinking that maybe I don't have a knowledge of the body. I don't have a problem with any foods. Then, you know, up until a few years ago, I could handle some of my triggering substances in a very controlled manner. Like if they were in very small quantities, you know, I was able to still have some control, but I was always white knuckling abstinence. I was miserable. I was always struggling and I couldn't understand why. And, uh, you know, my disease kept progressing and getting worse. And it got to the point that whenever I ingested any of my triggering substances, any trace of it, I would, it would set me off on a binge right away. And, uh, you know, and I never knew how long that was going to last. And so, you know, one thing I've learned about this disease through my own experience is that it is progressive. And whatever crazy experience with the food I haven't had yet, you know, uh, you know, I can't have the yet to the end of anything. Uh, for example, I used to say, well, I haven't weighed over 200 pounds yet. I haven't eaten out of the garbage yet. I haven't eaten to the point of passing out or feeling like I'm going to burst yet. You know, my disease really like surpassed all those yet and many, many more. But my mind always convinced me contrary to my experience, that this time it would be okay. This time, for whatever reason, was going to be different. You know, the obsession of the mind always crowded my mind and really expelled all the thoughts that told me the reasons why I should not eat the foods that were killing me. So my experience has been that only entire absence from all my triggering ingredients, and for me that's any type of sugar, any type of flour, and processed fat. And the vigorous work of the 12 steps, that's what gave me complete freedom. You know, physical and mental freedom, recovery. The steps gave me access to the power that I lacked, to a higher power that really expelled the mental obsession for me. I didn't have to get born with the food anymore. You know, in the beginning, it really sounded and it looked impossible to get 100% clean with the food and work the steps, but it was not. When I stopped trying to do it on my own and I really started relying on my higher power and this fellowship, then I felt a great relief and I could move forward. And today I have complete freedom 
You know, I don't have to compromise anymore between being an abstinent, crazy lunatic, raging lunatic, or, you know, to be a binging, suicidal, depressed, overweight woman. Total freedom is real. With that, I pass. Thanks. Renata, thanks so much. Uh, Okay, so before we open it up, just a reminder, we are on page 24. Renata read the first paragraph uh, for context, and then we're we're, uh, keeping our comments to the uh, second paragraph. So with that, who would like to share on what was read? Janice M. I heard Kim. I heard Sue. Melissa C. Carol G. Melissa. Oh, Carol. Okay, Carol G. Barbara P. Paula D. Let me tell you who I have so far, okay? I'm not sure if I heard Kim or if that was Carol, but I'll, uh, Kim, if you're out there and you want to share, that's, I have Kim, I have Sue, Melissa, Carol, Barbara, and Paula. Why don't we start with those? And maybe I'm hearing things, but Kim, are you there? Larry, it's Kim. It wasn't me. Okay, I'm hearing things, Kim. Um, so let's go. <laughs> let's go with Sue G. Sue, you're up. No, I'm really hearing things. It wasn't Sue, me, Larry. Uh, it wasn't okay, me, Larry. Boy, oh boy. Carol, I think it was Carol things. G. All right. Well, let's start. Let's start with Carol G, and then we'll go Melissa after that. Carol. Oh, thank you, Larry. Can you hear me? I can, Carol. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, everybody, um, for steering us all in the right direction. Um, what a wonderful paragraph. Thank you, Renata. Um, I'm just flicking through the big book here and having a look at what we've been studying, and it says they're a baffled lot. And um, what is it like to be a real compulsive overeater? And we've been studying all week these pages, and I just think it's wonderful how we're beginning to see this mental obsession and and now I was taught that this bit's more about the blank spot. Um, before having uh, the obsession removed and Carol, a recovered compulsive overeater, I would binge and then call my sponsor and she would say, Carol, pick up the phone, not the food. I just forget. Um, it was just something I just couldn't bring into my mind and I'd go away and I'd blame myself. And of course, that would make me eat more. Um, so thinking that I had power over this thing, I'd reassert myself, get back on red alert, put locks on the kitchen doors. Um, the sad day came, actually, when I even lost the ability to shout out for, for help from God. Uh, that was when something very deep changed inside me. And it was almost as if um, I was puzzled. Um, I, I had a non-recovered sponsor at the time, Um, she would set me a task, she would ask me to look for loopholes, seek out where I went wrong, to see if I could find why I turned to food and not to my higher power. And when I would sit there thinking about it, in my mind's eye, all I could see was this grey swirling mist, and it was like trying to describe fog. I couldn't squeeze information out of my brain, and the other day I actually lost my keys again, um, and it describes the mental blank spot so perfectly for me, because I was standing there, my human brain is so amazing, but if it, if it comes to telling me where my keys are, just will not surrender any information. I traced my steps. I stood there holding the coat. I had thought about it and thought, still squeezing my mind, and I got nothing. It was very similar to that swirling fog that I just mentioned. And, and then I found them. Some, some time later in a random place, I genuinely forgot. 
Why is that a problem for a compulsive overeater? It's not so bad if it's just your, your keys, but this is a matter of life and death. I'm without defence. I just forget. I suffer from blank spots of the mind, twists of the mind, obsessions of the mind. And there is no solution for me other than the one that we're studying at the moment this morning. And this is where the directions are. The first 100 in here are such a signpost to recovery. They're explaining this so brilliantly. And now I've experienced it for myself. Things are beginning to change in my life. And I wonder why I'm so vocal about this chapter. But this chapter is where I share my experience, my true experience, because I have no ability to remember what it was what my suffering was like unless I'm recalling it for you. If I try to draw this information out for myself, I get a blank, swirling fog. But when it's going to contribute to another person's recovery and to their journey, clear as day. So I hope that's helping somebody and I hope you all have a wonderful day and pass. Carol, thanks so much. Um, you'll have to excuse me, guys. I have an ear infection, so my ear's plugged up more information than you need, but uh, so I, I may be missing a few things here. Um, I, I believe Janice M. Uh, Janice, are you out there? And then Melissa? Janice, did you want to comment? Somebody's hearing me. Yes, thank you. That's okay. You're excused, Larry. <laughs> thank <laughs> yes, you. That's all right. Thank you. Um, yes, my name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Well, the question is here. Do I have a choice? Well, you know, I had a choice in a lot of things in my life, and I could do it well. My choices went out, you know, the consequences were good. But when it came to my illness, did I have a choice? Absolutely not. Not until I crossed that line. <clears throat> I was self-deceiving myself at times, saying, see, I can do this. I, you know, I'm going to try this method now. I'm going to try that method now. And, of course, you know, that was all showing me, I mean, that I was so powerless. I was powerless because I was still in the driver's seat trying to find out a way and test to be normal, to be a normal eater. Now, those old threadbare, threadbare ideas, those were the old worn-out ideas that I had, worn out, worn out. I tried them over and over again, you know, because, it, you know, and for me, all the knowledge that I had about compulsive overeating, about what to do with the tools, not the, not the 12 steps, but the other tools, they did not help me. All the knowledge did not help me. But the knowledge of putting my hand on a stove helped me because <laughs> it burnt. It burnt me. And there's something that registered in my mind that said, you know, don't do that again. Or maybe if I was really insane, I'd say instead of putting my whole hand, I think I'll put three fingers. Well, of course, I knew that that would do it, too, but not when it came to my, my, my illness. I tried it over and over again until I surrendered the idea that, yeah, I am 100% powerless over the allergy and even, and, and of course, 100% powerless over the, um, the obsession. But even in recovery, I still have no choice. I cannot pick up that substance. I do have choices, though. I have choices to pick up the 12 steps, the kit of spiritual tools. And, you know, when I do that, then a higher power, which is my defense, relieves me of my lack of choice and keeps me abstinent and recovered one more day. If I choose, you know, if I could choose not to pick up my, my, my 
binge foods, then I wouldn't even need a higher power. You know, if if you can do that, you know, good. Maybe you're not a compulsive overeater, but I couldn't. So my defense has to be a higher power. And uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Janice, thank you so much. Okay, finally, Melissa, you're up. Hi. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., a compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I'm sorry that you're struggling with an ear infection. And, it, you know, it, it got me thinking. I, I had an ear infection as an adult, and I can remember the pain of that very clearly. Um, and I would think that if there was something that could have brought it on that I did, I would avoid it. But not so the case with the pain of my food addiction. You know, I just thought of that, that um, the pain of this food addiction is far worse than anything. And yet I cannot rely on my memory. I cannot rely on my clear-headedness, you know, because the threadbare, um, you know, those threadbare ideas um, I just kept going back to again and again. And I just love this part of the of the chapter because it really drives home for me that my brain, my thinking, my mind is what's broken. And so all of the remedies that I tried to combat this problem um, were all the things that existed outside of myself. You know, I thought, well, it's, you know, my family is aggravating me. That's why I'm eating and my job. And there's too much food in the teacher's room, so I'll stay out of there. And, you know, and um, and even I'll avoid um, certain events and certain brands of food. But really, I'm the thing, you know, I'm, I'm blocking out all the things that I think are causing it and, and contributing to it. But it's me. It's, it's my brain, my thinking, um, because I've always um, brought myself right back picking up again and you know even being in a recovered state um i cannot rest on my world at all i still i have to make conscious contact with my higher power i have to work with other people i have to you know i have to continue to do lots of work and lots of reliance on god because i still have my brain inside and although it's been transformed um you know there's some muscle memory there. And so even at dinner time, you know, I can measure out my dinner and get a crazy thought that I could measure it out but still take a forkful from the platter that I didn't measure. And those types of thinking, you know, you would say, well, my God, how rigid must you be? You really can't do that? No, I really can't do that. That's how rigid I have to be because this disease, you know, one bite for someone else, they don't have what I have. But one bite for me is, you know, that's um, deadly. It's terminal. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Barbara. <clears throat> Barbara, step right up. You're you're up, Barbara. Barbara, press star one to unmute. Thank you, Larry. Um, my name is Barbara. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from New Hampshire. Rereading these 
paragraphs. Um, the the it says with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. It reminds me of a disease that or a, a abnormality that um, there is a rare condition where um, infants may be born without the sensitivity to pain. And this might seem like an advantage to most of us because wouldn't it be great if nothing ever hurt? But the danger for those children is obvious because they can be doing something and break a bone. Or, as this talks about, you know, touching a hot stove, and they won't know that they're hurting themselves. And so they would continue to do that until something else draws their attention to um, the fact that they're harming themselves and parents have to be very diligent. And that's what I think of myself as in terms of compulsive overeating. People without the the um, physical allergy eat and then they have a sensation of fullness and that sensation creates discomfort. They, they don't want to eat anymore. In my disease of compulsive overeating, that barrier does not exist. The fact that I, I am full and I've eaten sufficient food <clears throat> is not going to stop me because either I won't recognize it or I won't pay any attention to it. And this is just one of the many times in this book we will be reminded over and over and over again that we do not have the ability either to recognize or to act on the fact that we um, we are at times unable to bring forth, to recognize when we are in danger, when a food idea comes that says, I can handle it differently this time. This time I'll, I, I know enough about this disease so I won't make that mistake again. Those are all the illusions of the disease. And it can be really difficult to impossible, in fact, for compulsive readers to recognize those. So we're without defense unless we have a solid program and a relationship with God that has transformed us into people willing to use the program and the barriers and, and guidelines that are built in to keep us safely on the road of recovery. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, and Paula, Paula, you're up. Paula, we can't hear you. Press star one, please. And thank you. Oh, I am here. I am now unmuted. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for your service today, even in the, those uh, consequences, or not consequences, those uh, t t hard times. Oh, it looks like I'm getting tongue twisted, so let me stop right there. And I thank you, and I will stop, and I will say, I am Paula, I am recovered, and I am glad to be here. And as I share on this paragraph, and 
being reminded of the time now. I just want to go just for one moment to page 21 where he says, here is the fellow who has been puzzling you. Well, that's fine if, if, if somebody else is puzzling you, but when you are puzzling you, whoa, how do you come out of a puzzle that you can't figure out? And you're the one. This part here, and I just love it, the truth of it and the fact of it, the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. Honey, your mind is like a guided missile. Nothing is going to stop it. There's no defense against this guided missile, honey. It's aimed. Do you think you're going to stop it because you don't have the mind to and you don't have the body to? The body's been contaminated as the mind has, and you're not drawing on a higher power. So what are you going to fight it with? You have nothing to fight it with. And I love this word, the old threadbare idea. How did it become threadbare? Because I tried so many. I tried so many. Well, I'll do it this way. No, no, that didn't work. Well, let me try this way. That worked for a time. Didn't that work for a time? Just for a time. That old threadbare idea that this time, no. We shall handle ourselves like other people. As long as that thought stays predominant, that guided missile will aim and it will hit and it will destroy. And it ends with, and this is the line, there is a complete failure, a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. (laughs) When you hear that and you see it, you say, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone do that? They would have to be sick indeed. And there's where the word disease comes in. So I thank you for allowing me to share. Sorry about that stumbling start. I'm all right with the stumbling start because the ending is grand, and I thank you for that. And with that, I pass. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. I've been stumbling for decades. So I came upon this program. Okay, um, we will open it up to some more shares, and I'll do the best I can here. Who, who would like to jump in? This is Vasa. I'd like to share Larry. Okay, I got Vasa. Who else? Gail Roxanne I heard Reva, and who was the other person? Gail Roxanne Gail and Roxanne. Lynn S. Leah M. Okay. Suji. I'm sorry. There were there were two other. Did I hear James? I could always tell a male voice here. James. Suji. James and then Sue. Let me tell you who I have. <clears throat> oh my. Um, okay. So I have Vasa. I have Reva. I have Gail, Roxanne, Lynn, Leah M, James, and Sue. Why don't we go with that for now? And let's start off with Vasa. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Larry, for your service. And I am a grateful, recovering, compulsive reader calling from Florida. Pain was my motivator. I could not fight the food anymore, any longer. There was uh, nothing more that I wanted when I came to OA. Then there was really nothing that I wanted more than what I had than to put the food down and keep it down. I mean, it seemed like I had I had the husband, I had the house, I had the kids, you know, pretty much everything. Yeah, sometimes I said, oh, maybe if I have a, another husband, maybe 
it will be better, you know. My life will be better, you know. And blaming, blaming my food addiction or my unhappiness on other people. But anyways, uh, I, again, this program, it's a gift from God. And this big book, it's so awesome, the way it's laid out, in a way that I can identify, I can relate with all of you. We have something in common. We might come from different places, but, you know, the, our bond is the food addiction. And uh, I recoil, like, from a stove. I mean, today I recoil from, like, a hot stove today from certain things, you know. And um, it's a miracle, you know, but I needed really what I needed to do. I needed to just surrender to a higher power greater than myself. And I just, I remember saying, God, I can't. And I read, you know, in the big book, it says, I can, he can, I will let him. And I remember saying, oh, yes, I will let you. I will let you with all my heart. Just please help me, lead me, show me the way. And it and here the instructions, the recipes right here, and it's amazing. You know, one paragraph at a time, and that's all. You know, that's all I can comprehend. One paragraph at a time, and uh, yes, the mental obsession. And further down, it tells us, for God's sakes, what when we're going to get to it. I remember when I was being on those diets, and I'm saying, how did I get here again? You know, well, I have a disease. I have allergy and with the mental obsession. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. And Reva, you're up. Good morning, Larry. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Reva P., recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater. Um, I am learning so much through these meetings and actually through um, a new sponsee um, that is having a, a really difficult time. And um, what this paragraph reminds me is that the real problem is with my thinking. Um, I know it's a physical allergy, um, but it talks about the mind. Um, And if my thinking is the problem and I have a defective mind, um, that also suggests, you know, to get away, to not think about it's my fault what's wrong with me, feeling guilty, that it's a moral issue. Um, there's something defective in the wiring um, in my mind where I have an obsession, and I'm learning through, again, this meeting, that obsession means that one idea goes into my mind and everything else, all my logic, all my knowledge just gets like shoved right out the window. And I am totally consumed with that one thought. Um, And I cannot um, fight that thought. So when I'm aware that I have that thought, um, you know, it's not about making the plan. It's not about trying harder. um, It's not about making 100,000 phone calls, um, although those things can be helpful. It's acknowledging in that moment, in that grace of pause, that I'm doomed. There is no defense. Um, And asking a power greater than myself um, to help. Um, And, you know, instead of telling myself, I've heard somebody share this, instead of telling um, my higher power how powerful the food is and how big this problem is and I can't do it and I can't do it and I can't do it, I tell the problem, how huge 
and almighty my higher power is that for my higher power this is this is easy because um, he or she can do what I cannot do and with that I pass thank you Reva and Gail your turn good morning everyone this is Gail T recovered compulsive overeater in central Texas I remember I mean, I knew after so many years that if I picked up, it was the end. And and at night, after I picked up when I was in my bed, I was severely depressed. And whenever I would pick up, I was discontent, irritable, or just distracted in some way, either with myself or others or both. And I had no way of handling it within my own resources. And so when, and it wasn't that I didn't have a power greater than myself. I think I always had a power greater than myself, and I knew how to tap into that power in certain ways, but I did not know how to tap into that power greater than myself who could help me with this particular thing. And I keep on saying, because uh, um, like I keep on hearing people talk about the first three steps, and I just consider, I think we all consider those as stepping stones. And they think they are the completion stones, the foundation. If they just go to that, it would work. And that's what I was taught. So I was never rescued. I hear people saying how they were rescued by their higher power. My higher power doesn't rescue. (laughs) Unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. I have to do the work. So when I found out what the work was, which was to keep on finding, first to identify when I was restless, irritable, or discontent, and then to take the action steps to find out. And that's what stop me from overeating. And that's when my higher power really started working with me more fulfillingly, meaning that I got better results. I learned why I was distracted, irritable, or discontent, all of those kind of things. So I think with that, I pass. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Gail. And good morning, Roxanne. Roxanne, please press uh, star one. Hi, Larry. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Thank you. This is Roxanne T., Recovering Compulsive Overeater in New York. And uh, thanks, everyone, for your service. Uh, This is a very powerful uh, paragraph here. this word threadbare, I always like the different terms that they use in here. You know, it's like out of the uh, textile industry here. Threadbare, it's just worn out fabric. It's just worn out. Uh, and uh, my idea was totally worn out that I could handle myself, you know, like other people. And uh, they tell me that has to be smashed. They just tell me right out of the gate, you know, I was told right away that. You know, that idea that I can handle this has to be smashed. Uh, 
that I can even enjoy it or uh, control it. You know, it, it just has to be smashed. Um, and I found that this time, you know, with the help of uh, certainly going through, you know, my past of how long I've been around and how long this has been a problem and how long it didn't work my way, uh, that uh, it, it definitely was right there. And uh, what really proved it, really hit it home for me also when it came to how powerless I was when it came to the allergy part was that I did get rid of all the, um, I did take all the foods out that were Bob's foods that I wasn't willing to let go of uh, years earlier. Um, simple things that I thought, you know, uh, even people in program could handle. You know, I, I couldn't handle. And uh, once those got out, uh, the um, the haziness started to, you know, uh, clear up for me. And um, that threadbare idea certainly seemed to look a lot more like insanity. Uh, and um, so I, I really was willing to turn my will and my life over to a higher power who could uh, give me the sufficient force to um, stay away from those things, even after they've been out of my system. You know, I could be, uh, you know, say, well, I'm just addicted to sugar, but, you know, uh, this is the point they're proving here is that even when we've been, you know, taken away from those addictive substances, that our mind is as sick as well and that we will stay in denial and believe these old threadbare ideas that, you know, when when I become you know, restless, irritable, and discontent. When I become really unhappy with life and I'm, uh, you know, not getting my dibs here and uh, nothing's fair and uh, I'm not, you know, relying on a higher power, um, then uh, that idea will come back that this time, you know, I'll just need it so bad I'll have no defense whatsoever. So thank God for a higher power and thank God that, you know, I was willing to smash that old idea that I could, you know, that I have the sufficient power to handle this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just love it how, you know, 60 pages from now, if I do what it says within those pages, that I will have, you know, the power to, you know, withdraw from uh, that sort of deal uh, as if from a hot flame. That, you know, when I'm tempted, you know, I'll be able to say, oh, not for me. I got to go to an AAGSO meeting tonight. And I called to say, uh, oh, I'm coming, Just you know, and said, oh, I'm a half hour early. We're going to have pizza and soda. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. But, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll certainly come show up and, and do what I need to do. So thanks, everyone, today. And thank you, Larry. And I pass. Thanks so much. And good morning, Lynn S. It's your turn. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is Lynn S. from Toronto. I was so relieved when I came into program and I read paragraphs like this. And I can remember I used to come home and I would just think, oh, I can't wait. And I'd read There is a Solution. And it just, it was the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. It's not my fault. This is what's wrong with me. And it, it was just... I can't describe the feeling. It was just it was just elevating. And in a couple of paragraphs when we get to there's a solution, it was just 
the best thing, just the best thing. I was so happy. Then after years, I went into a relapse. And with the relapse, and I always told myself, I don't think I'm a normal eater. I knew I wasn't going to eat one. I knew as I got in the car and I was driving along and I was saying, Lynn, you really don't want to do this. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm going for this. And I would go for all the binge foods. And there were many stops along the way. And as soon as I picked up one, I'd be eating in the car and going along and getting the others. I knew I wasn't going to stop at one. There was no idea of one. But there was an idea of one weekend, I'm just going to eat for one month, I'm just going to eat for one week. And I didn't equate that with the the trying to think like a normal person, because a normal person, I thought, didn't think they were going to eat for a weekend or a week or a month. I was missing the point of the idea that I was thinking I could stop. And it, what what was also funny is, the pain of living life with an extra 140 pounds, the pain of the constant humiliation, none of that mattered. I knew it, and I didn't care. And that's where it talks about what I knew and the feelings that I had, they didn't equate to putting a hand on a hot stove. There was complete failure, complete disconnect. Thank you, God, when we worked the steps and we get that connection with our higher power, that is my first defense. And I remember, too, thinking, well, why didn't all that praying as I'm driving madly to the store, God, please don't let me do this, God, please don't let me do this. I missed the pause. I missed that pause, that one nanosecond, where maybe there's a chance if I just pause and then ask God for help, that I will get some relief. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lynn. <clears throat> and Leah M., you're up. Thanks so much, Leah, for your service. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. Complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. I mean, it really is fascinating how sick uh, we are. Um, you know, I happen to be a real compulsive overeater. I accept the diagnosis. But, um, you know, it really is fascinating how messed up I am, you know, in in this active illness. Uh, you know, that description that I read in that paragraph, you know, it comes down to a very simple proposition that, like it or not, my mind persuades myself that I can be normal. And and that's exactly what's going on here. It's not that I'm emotionally deficient. Uh, you know, I may very well be emotionally deficient, but ultimately the common thread uh, for all of us is that we say to ourselves, oh, we can eat this now. You know, my it's like my pain has no memory. I, I put up no struggle, no resistance, no fight. And that's where the big book says that not only am I bodily different from fellows, but I am mentally different from other people because my experience, my suffering no longer informs me. The fact that I've been unable to eat certain substances without getting that phenomenon of craving, uh, without ending up binging, is irrelevant to the fact that right now, right now, despite all my experience, I'm not like that anymore. I used to be like that, but right now, at this moment, I'm not like that anymore, and I can handle a bite, the first bite. And that's the illusion. That's the mental obsession. 
And that is the insanity, because if there's any generic definition of insanity, it is a belief in a reality that isn't true. I lived on the assumption of things that simply were not true. Despite years, despite decades of personal experience and suffering, I lived on the assumption of things that simply were not true. And I lived my life on the assumption that I could eat certain substances without a problem. You know, and if I had a bit of premeditation, which I often did, and if I had moments of precognition, which I often did, it was taken over by the obsession of the mind. It's like the obsession of the mind overrode that. And we're not stupid. I talk to newcomers all, you know, all the time, and myself also. We're not stupid people. And if you've been listening to this line, you're not ignorant and you're not uninformed. But how come we can't see? <laughs> how, can we, how, how come we can't live by this truth? And that's where the steps are needed. The steps are needed for, you know, because they're designed to relieve us of the mental obsession. That was the only thing that worked for me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. So we're going to go James, Sue, and then I'm going to take a quick turn. James, you're up for three minutes. Thank you, Larry, for your service. Um, can I have a 15-minute uh, or 15-second head start, Larry? You know how slow I am. <laughs> you bet. All right. Hey, um, just want to uh, touch on um, there is a complete failure of any kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. I just want to talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I'll tell you, everybody has just really touched on, on this, and I know we a lot has been said, and um, just want to add maybe a few things, if I could. Um, this pattern of thinking that we're all talking about is a bankrupt thinking. You know, in, in the world of bankruptcy, you can file a Chapter 13 or you can file a Chapter 7. And I'm the type of personality that will never file a Chapter 7 because, because of my pride and because I'm trying to rescue something. I'm trying to preserve something, thinking that I'm obviously special. But um, in, in filing a Chapter 13, you're still under the bankruptcy rules and laws, but essentially you're just paying to the program and, and you're, I mean, it's just as much of a hit on your credit report as a seven would be. When you're finally given up, a chapter seven just says, hey, I've given up. But this thinking puts you into these categories. And what I find interesting is um, when I think about my own life, I'm, I'm thinking about the endless excuses that keeps me in a pattern of bumping into the walls of, of failed promises. You know, just because I'm a nice guy, I think I can get away with it. Because I'm a nice guy, I can have this. I can get the sympathy of somebody else and maybe get away with it, or maybe somebody will forgive me. I look past some of my defects and I can get away with it. And so, you know, there's almost for me a bottomless pit of excuses, endless, endless thinking, thinking, endless poor thinking. It's ravaged. It's poor. It's decrepit. It's without funds. It's without energy it's without anything resourceful but yet i've relied on those things to cover up something i'm hiding something deeper and you know out of that abyss i have been rescued out of out of sadness and worry and and deep concern um what this program has brought me to which is an understanding that um i have a clarity that i can rely on god and recognize him that he needs to be a part of all of my decisions because, see, I used to give God the tough, the tough decisions, and then I lived my life in the what I thought was the easier decisions, which how much do I eat, what do I eat, where do I go when I eat, who do I eat it with, and when, what time of the day do I eat it. I made all those decisions. But now it's time this program has allowed me to settle in 
and experience a life and a joy and a liberty that I've never experienced through the discipline of saying, not my will, but your will. Now I'm living the will. Now I'm having the hope, and I'm able to overcome. And I have an instant recognition of God in my day, in my mind. I'm not ashamed anymore. I can be honest. I can be truthful with myself and with others. This program is awesome. It's brought me to a reality and to, a, and to an experience that I never got to in my religion or my self-proclaimed understanding of what, who God was and what he was. This is, a, this is, this is, this is phenomenal. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, James. And Sue, it's your turn. Thank you, Larry. I hope the infection clears up fast. <laughs> Painful. Um, I was thinking of a toddler, and that toddler will go over to the stove how many times? And how many, how many times does a mother have to quickly check and run over there and pull the hand away and say, no, hot, hot? And if they have a fireplace, maybe they learn a little faster because they have to do the same thing with the fireplace. They see the flame. In a gas stove, you see the flame. Um, with, with the Step 10 promises, we recoil from it. By now, our sanity has returned, and we recoil from it. It's from a hot flame. When we're still going to that hot flame, going to that hot stove, we're not in our right minds. You know, when, when I'm still thinking I can, I can touch that, I can have that candy or I can have that cookie or I can have, you know, I can have just one, um, I'm, I'm not in my right mind. And I have to call somebody. I have to remi- have somebody remind me and help me remember what happened the last time I did it. And when does the child stop? Once he's touched it, once he's finally gotten past mommy and he's touched it and he's screaming and he's crying. And when do we stop? Not until we're sane. Not until we're totally doing step 10. Uh, And it's hard to put into words, but there's a time when we stop. And that's after we've been burned and after we finally start remembering what happened the last time. Um, when we stay in conscious contact with God. So the first thing that happens when we start thinking about it, we don't go to the flame. We stop it right in that thought. And the first thing we do is say, God, take this away from me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. I'm just going to wrap up as we're closing the meeting. Sorry, Michelle, but we're going to, we're not going to get to this last uh, uh this next paragraph, but um, I'll just take a quick minute share on this. You know, um, I can remember someone hearing someone and identifying with someone in fellowship, a friend of mine in fellowship. And she talked about how I can't remember how many lanes that she crossed over at risk of life and limb to get into the Dunkin' Donuts. But I did that many times you know, uh, risking my own life and, and other people's lives. And it was almost like a gravitational pull, you know, that my car was pulled in. That was the obsession of the mind. And it's different for me than a craving, you know. Um, I had no defense. I had no defense. I was, I was not helpless, but I had no defense. See, the obsession of the mind is, for me, is not simply uh, just the craving for my binge substance. It, it is indeed that. But it's more than that, because even when my bin substance is down, perhaps for a lengthy period of time, 
for some crazy reason, because I'm loony, um, you know, I'm pulled right back in to, to burn my, my hand in the flame, to put my hand back in the flame. So I, I just want to say that there were times when the craving would leave me, you know, body chemistry being what it is, it would leave me. And I thought, well, that must be the spiritual awakening. And I could tell you now that that was, at least for me, indeed, that was not the spiritual awakening. Um, I had not worked sequentially through the steps and had a, a, a transformative change process. And, and, and since then, you know, my cancer, if you will, has been in remission as long as I remain in fit spiritual condition. With that, I'll pass and uh, we're going to close. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following uh, the closing. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Michelle, are you out there? Would you read 164? Yes, good morning. Thanks for Thank your you. service. Michelle H., Recover Compulsive Overeater um, from Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to, we, to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.